You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avzan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul, back here on live, the High FM show. I think it's been five, six weeks since we've been on. Every single Chag in the past month, every single holiday was on a Tuesday or a Tuesday evening and got a little break. And here we are to the last term of the year, and hopefully we can continue to have interesting conversations and interesting farbringings and interesting radio here on 101.9 Chai FM. It is amazing to be back. The offices are looking more beautiful than they ever have. The energy at Chai FM is incredible. It's, it's, it's fantastic to be back. And I want to start with a beautiful piece of music. Um, apologies for the music before. This music, which is for... 101.9 Chai FM is Mamleches Kohanim for Benny Friedman here on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, it is incredible to be with you back here live at Chai FM, the Farbringen show, Tuesdays from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. Our WhatsApp number is 061-895-1019. Our SMS number is 34519. So let's get into it. We just finished the month of holidays. We are Rosh Chodesh. We are the beginning of the new month. Today is the 30th day of the Hebrew month of Tishrei. Tomorrow is the first day of the Hebrew month of Cheshvan. And now it's about downloading uh, the, what, all the inspiration into our own lives. And it's about taking lofty ideas and hopefully making them practical and all the wonderful utopia that we maybe experienced over Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Simchat Torah, and try to make it a little more practical. So today I want to talk about some very practical things and something that hopefully we can take in our lives and truly adapt it. You know, let's start with the Parsha of the week. This week's Parsha talks about Noah. If you think of this as the the second Shabbos after the Chagim, um, it's the second Parsha in the Torah. We, we fell straight out of the holidays and we're landing into one of the most traumatic experiences in human history, if not the most traumatic experience, and that is when literally 99.9% of the human civilization was wiped out by a flood that took place about 4,000 years ago, 4,100 years ago, according to Jewish tradition. And other than Noah, his wife, and his sons and daughters-in-law, nobody survived. A total of eight people managed to make it through out of, I don't know, population numbers, probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions, if not billions. So quite a traumatic um, episode. And you have to ask yourself, how does such a terrible story come right after such inspiration. It's interesting that throughout the Jewish uh, calendar, you'll often find these anticlimaxes. You come to Yom Kippur, the, the holiest day of the year, in the afternoon, and you're reading about the most disgusting relationships, um, intimate relationships a person can ever imagine and how Torah prohibits it. And you wonder to yourself, that is really what I have to hear on Yom Kippur afternoon. And it's seemingly in this, similarly in this episode, we go from tremendous high 
to tremendous low where we're talking about such a tragic episode where literally the, the world was so corrupt, specifically in theft, but in any, in so many other areas that God felt like he had no other choice other than to kind of reboot and start life again with Noah, his kids, and even be, amongst those couple guys, uh, things didn't work out so well as the Parsha continues saying that Chum abused his father once they got out of the Ark, the son, the son Hum, Chum, abused his father, and as a punishment, he was cursed, and his kid was cursed, and a, like, and within a few hundred years after that, the parsha continues, and the people built a tower where they wanted to fight God, the famous Tower of Babel, and that story. But this is not a parsha show, so I'm going to leave it at that. So what you have over here is this incredible anticlimax, which is sits at the core of the Jewish narrative, and that is how high we can rise and how low we can fall and how they are literally together. In other words, they can happen on the same day. How many days have we had that at one moment of the day we hit such an incredible spiritual, moral, ethical high, and 10 minutes later we hit such a low? I remember many episodes in my life where you could be so gentle to somebody, and then two minutes later you're a bit irritated, and you could be ungentle to the next person, and two people walk out of an experience with you, and one person says, wow, that was a beautiful encounter, and the other person says, gosh, he was obnoxious. We fluctuate, and one of the most incredible ideas of, of the Tanya, which is one of the most fundamental books in Jewish philosophy and on really understanding the human condition, is the idea that each and every one of us lives in a reality where we're constantly battling and the battle never finishes, and the battle can literally, one moment we, we win the battle and the next moment we can lose the battle, and the full gamut of human experience can happen within one hour. And how, yes, we can think that we're flying like angels in a month of holidays, but reality hits us hard the second we come out of that experience. And the question is, are we ready for the fall? Are we ready for, for the world that we walk out facing to? You know, for those of us who went to Shul over the Chagim and kept the Chagim. This is the first full week of work in five weeks. You know, Rosh Hashanah was a Monday, Tuesday. Yom Kippur was a Wednesday. Sukkot was a Monday, Tuesday. Simchas Torah, Shemini Atzeres was a Monday and Tuesday. Half a week off. So, like, it's actually the first week just coming back and actually feeling what a Tuesday looks like in, in, in the picture of seven days. Till now, Tuesday was like the end of a week because you were back in Shul celebrating and then Wednesday was the beginning of the week and Shabbos was the end of the week. It was, it was mad. Incredible mad, but mad. And now it's about, okay, whew, routine. Kids are back in school. Life is somewhat hopefully going to enter a routine. And, it's in the routine that life really calls on us and, uh, us and says, okay, let's bring some spirituality over here. Let's bring some unity. Let's talk about unity for a moment. You're sitting in Sukkot. You're sitting in a Sukkot. It's a beautiful experience. I don't know about your shul, but in our shul, but I imagine in every shul. Sukkot is a beautiful time. You sit in the Sukkot. Hopefully the weather is half decent. And it's just such a 
calm, peaceful, sociable atmosphere. You just find tremendous connection. You find the warmth. And we're told the sukkah is an incredible space. It's a godly space where God embraces us in that space. And therefore, it really affects the aura and, and the, the, the feeling in that space. But now sukkah is over. Life goes back to what we call normal. And then what? And then what happens to that unity? What happens to that incredible joy of Simchas Torah? You know, Simchas Torah, you just see that people are oozing happiness and people are kind to one another and forgiving to one another and positive to one another. What happens then? A month after Yom Kippur, it's 20 days after Yom Kippur today, Yom Kippur, many people asked forgiveness and forgave and we're focused on the whole energy of letting go of the past. Now what? 20 days later, are we building up a new reservoir of fireables? Or are we letting go? Uh, learning the lessons of Yom Kippur and allowing us to have a mini Yom Kippur every day. And allowing ourselves to forgive, to let go. Rosh Hashanah, are we, are we focused on our connection to Hashem and, and accepting His rulership and His leadership and His relationship with us? Or is it just one day a year? That's really the question. All those days, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Simchas Torah, they are points of light, but they're, they don't live in isolation. They're not as if they're there just for that one day, but rather they're there to influence the rest of the year. They are just... Tremendous days of energy with specific themes that shine through for the whole year. And it's our job, after that tremendous energy shines through that day, to take that energy and implement it in our lives over the next 365 days. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, okay, Yom Kippur is over. So how many variables have I developed? How many misunderstandings have I developed in the past 20 days? Rosh Hashanah is over. Have I been able to be a little God-focused in the past 30 days? Sukkot, was I able to focus on unity, joy, connection, internalization? Simchas Torah, was I able to, 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 to literally let go and be happy and see all everyone around me as part of my family? Or was it just a one-hit wonder? One-hit wonders are cute, but they don't make a lasting impact. To make a lasting impact is to take those incredibly powerful, intensely powerful days and download it into our lives, into our, yes, mundane, day-to-day challenges, jobs, relationships, complexities, and elevate our lives so that they can just be a little more spiritual than they were a month ago. This is 101.9 Chai FM. Rabbi Levi Yatsen here on the Fabrengen Show. I want to play with you some music. And this is a song, one of my favorite songs. I don't know, I play it like every few months. It's called Superman by Ari Goldwag here on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, that was Superman by Ari Goldwag. Beautiful song. Today we're talking about taking inspiration and making it practical, taking wonderful, lofty ideas and actually internalizing it. We love inspiration. Gosh, do we love inspiration. We forward videos to each other on WhatsApp of two-minute inspirational talks, and thank God there are an abundance of talks, an abundance of articles. Um, We love feel-good stories, and we love feel-good messages, and there's nothing wrong with that. On the contrary, it's, it's incredible. 
However, when we get an overdose of it, in other words, we almost become addicted to hearing inspirational messages rather than becoming addicted to implementing inspirational messages. There's something very different. There's something very different between enjoying an inspirational message to implementing an inspirational idea. Listen, we've all heard great ideas, right? We've all heard wise marriage advice. You often see it when you meet people who are married, let's say more than 40, 50 years. Often the first question that comes is, so tell us, what did you do? Give us some advice. And we hear the advice and we, we hear it all around. How often do we implement it? We hear an incredible motivational speech on the passion, uh, on, on the idea of being better parents, working on our marriage, the sanctity of the home, on hosting people, on being charitable, not being so tight with our wallets. But then what? How often do we actually go out of an inspirational talk on charity and actually Swipe our card for some cause we believe in. How often do we come out of a marriage lecture or, you know, article and actually come home and implement that idea? Loi hamedrish ikar ella hamaisa. Study is, and, and, and expounding ideas is not the, the main thing, although it's super important. Action is paramount. Implementation. We live in a world of action. We don't live in a world of ideas. Ideas are here to inspire our action. But we live in a world, even in, the, in Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism, we live in the world called Asiya. Asiya means action, a place of doing. We are not in a place that's lofty and, and, and floating. It, that's why pretty much every single mitzvah is an action-based mitzvah. And even the mitzvahs that are emotional, we're told you actually have to feel it. For example, the mitzvah of loving God, we're told you're actually, you're actually supposed to feel that love in your heart, just like you feel the love for somebody you deeply care about. So pretty much the whole Judaism is about taking ideas and actualizing them in, in real reality, in, in, in something you could touch, something you could feel, something you can do. So inspiration is great, and I hope you're finding this radio show a a drop inspirational. But that doesn't get us far. It's just the beginning. It's an opening. But what we do with that opening is totally up to us and is the real challenge. I've met people who've become sheer addicts. Uh, Apologies for that term. In other words, they love sheer, and I think that's it's a good addiction to have. You know, if, if we had to choose addictions, I think sheer addiction is, is, is high up on the list. And pretty much they sit there running from sheer to sheer to sheer to sheer to sheer to sheer. The problem is they don't get time to process anything they learn because they're going to f- many hours a day from one straight to the next. And it's great. They're stuffing their head with knowledge, but it's not downloading into their, into their mind and into their heart. Because in order to take an idea you just heard and download, we'll take as long, if not longer, than actual lecture. So an hour worth of ideas, is it can take you days worth of meditation and focus and, and reflection and, you know, writing until you can actually internalize that idea. 
You know, often we go to a one-hour lecture, and millions of ideas are thrown at us, and hopefully most of them are, are true and inspirational. But none of them will affect our lives unless we grab onto that one idea. It's almost like standing in the rain and just trying to grab one drop or having gazillion dollars falling and just trying to get your one dollar or your one thing and trying to just internalizing and saying, this is mine. Otherwise, it's like a child in a toy shop. Everything's mine and nothing. It's interesting because talking about children in toy shops, they've, many studies have shown that when you give the kids a lot of toys, they end up playing with, much, with, with pretty much nothing. And the less toys you give them, you actually find that they, they appreciate the toys and they play the toys more. In other words, you give them one toy at a time or two toys at a time, and they don't have access to all the toys all the time, and they actually spend more time and enjoy the pleasure of that one thing. And numerous studies have been done in sociology um, of or psychology where you walk into a store and you see 60 different options of the same jam and you end up making no decisions because it's totally overwhelming. In other words, instead of this absolute tremendous amount of inspiration coming our way, which is all great, take something. Chances are if you've been in chill the past four weeks and you've come to a few services, you've heard many, 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 many lectures. You've listened to maybe many choirs or lots of chazen, you davened, you read the siddur many times, you sat in the sukkah numerous times, etc. Depending on your, you know, your level and what you were interested in, you chances are had a lot of experiences, a lot of Jewish experiences in the past month. Now what? Which toy are you actually going to play with? Which idea is actually going to be digested? Which thing will become you now? And that's a deep question. It's a simple question, but it's a deep question because it hurts. It hurts to ask that question because it demands tremendous work. It's much easier to just run to the next lecture. Maybe that's going to change my life. Maybe that inspiration, that inspiration, that inspiration. Running this absolute marathon of looking for another great lecture, another great lecture, another great lecture. Fantastic. But how about another great meditation? How about another great internalization? How about taking an idea and making it your own? Talking about it. Writing about it. Thinking about it. Blogging about it. Until the idea goes out of theory and becomes you where you and the idea are one. Torah say new. It's supposed to come our Torah. It's supposed to become our idea. Not in the fact that we take and claim the idea came from us, but we feel it in our bones. There's a sense of ownership on, on that inspirational, that motivational, that true idea. It becomes part of us and it's oozing through us. That we don't only talk about kindness, but kindness oozes out of the person. You don't only talk about um, having a a good, healthy marriage, but the marriage oozes that you and the partner and everyone, the children, all feel that here is a healthy home. I remember one rabbi telling me that he's had... He's been giving dating classes for 15 years, and, and unfortunately he's had quite a few people coming for 15 years straight, and they still haven't found the right one. And he says, 
I don't understand why they're coming after 15 years because I'm saying the exact same ideas, but they almost became addicted to hear the same ideas. And you're like, just take that one idea and implement it, internalize it. doesn't mean you're going to find Bashar. Unfortunately, some of us, some people deeply struggle. But some people are just in the rat race of hearing the same ideas over and over and over and over and just say, just internalize it. Stop listening to it. Start living it. Make it your own. Take the idea and literally you become a walking idea. A walking theme. Think about it. Think about certain individuals. When you think of Moshe Rabbeinu, the th- you know, our teacher Moshe, his theme was Torah. Aaron, his theme was peace. Avram, his theme was kindness. Obviously, there were many more things, but they shone, they shined in one theme specifically that the moment you say Avram, chesed, kindness. Aaron, peace. Yosef, Hatzadik, righteous. He was able to stay righteous even in a very unhealthy society. What's our theme? What do we live when people see us? Or rather, when we see ourselves, what theme, from all the wonderful themes we've learned in our life, what theme oozes out of us? Are we a walking Torah? We're told that the reason on Simcha's Torah, that we, one of the reasons we dance with the Torah is closed, and why, once the, one of the reasons that we hold the Torah is rather than just allowing the Torah to sit in the ark, is because we become the legs of the Torah, we become walking Torahs. And there are stories of great sages who came to town and people actually picked them up and said, I'm holding a Torah. And that's why when a sage walks into a room, the custom is to stand up in appreciation of the Torah within that person. In other words, the Torah is no longer just in a book. It's in that person. Or when we stand up for an elderly person, Mipnei Seva Takum, the Torah says, stand up for an elderly person. We're standing up for the life wisdom that's in that person. That person's lived, I don't know, 80, 85 years. There's wisdom in them. It's no longer wisdom in a interesting self-help book. They are oozing that wisdom. What do we ooze? What, what comes out of us? What, what shines out of us? What do we stand for? What lives through us? And this is the month. We entered from a month, a month packed with holidays to a month with no holidays. Why? The sages tell us because now it's time to download it, to make it real in real life. And therefore we give you a full month of pretty much no holidays. Now make, now internalize it. Now make it real. And believe me, this month is so much harder than last month. Because last month was, was a express train. You just, I can only talk from my own experience. Once Rosh Hashanah begins, you just float for the next three and a half weeks. One thing leads to another, 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 another. Before long, you're fasting on Yom Kippur, you're building your sukkah, you're buying a little Vanessa, you're shaking it all, all directions, etc., etc., etc. Then you're dancing with the Torah, you're trying to recover from a hangover, and it's over. Now what? Now what? Now it's life. Now it's real. 
now whatever we hid under the rug for three weeks of celebration is back there. The marriage hasn't gotten better in, over the past three and a half weeks. It may be because there was so much time um, running to shul and, and to various friends that we didn't have to tackle the stuff in our marriage, but here it is. Maybe we didn't have to tackle the stuff with our children, but here it is. Maybe we didn't have to tackle our inner hatred that we feel for other people. But here it is. One of the most powerful prayers in the entire Siddur is just before the Kriya Shema, but just before the, the nighttime Shema. If you have a Siddur at home, I recommend that you look for it. Just look in the beginning in the table of contents for the nighttime Shema. The first paragraph. Rebina Shalayla, master of the universe, I hereby forgive to anybody who angered me, who caused me pain in my body, in my honor, in my money, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And it goes on and on and on. Every day we have the opportunity at the end of the day to have a mini Yom Kippur and literally erase our grudges. How about we become a little more religious with that part of the Siddur? Often you find people standing in the Siddur and when they're, they're davening Amidah or they're saying the Shema, their hands are waving in all directions and they're meditating for three hours straight and it's beautiful. How about meditate on that one paragraph for five minutes every night? I think it deserves as much meditation as maybe even Amidah itself and as much focus because what we're saying is I forgive anything that happened in the last 24 hours. That's big. It could have happened 10 minutes before and every night before we say Shema, we say Hareini Meichel, I forgive. That, if I can say that paragraph every day with passion and truth and implement it, now then I know Yom Kippur made a difference in my life. But if I could sit there, you know, being passionately con- religious and connected throughout the whole day, but it comes that one paragraph and I just skip over it and I hold on to my grudges with self-righteousness, you have to ask yourself a simple question. Has Yom Kippur done anything? This is 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. Our WhatsApp number is 0618951019 and the SMS number is 34519. This is Rabbi Levi Avzan and I finished off the last segment talking about forgiveness. It's a theme that every time at this time of the year really comes to the forefront and something that I can't stop thinking about. And it's interesting. The reason I, I, I spoke about it is because just a little while ago, someone mentioned to me that they heard a lecture um, about forgiveness before Yom Kippur. And they went and made peace with a sibling they haven't spoken to in over 20 years. And it's the second time I've heard of such a story. I remember a few years ago here on Chai FM, we spoke about forgiveness and I got feedback not too long after that there was a father and child who didn't speak to each other for many years and made peace. It's one of those things that tears us apart. 
tears us apart, and that is the way we hold grudges against one another. And oftenly, self-righteously, we think we're doing God's work by fighting his so-called enemies. What do you mean? I'm in the right, you're in the wrong, and therefore it's my obligation to hate you, to put you down, to undermine you. Really? Really? Hashem has not found a vessel that, ha- that contains blessing and that can bring blessing more than peace. If there's one thing that's holding up Mashiach, and if there's one thing that we're told was the cause of the destruction of the temple, it's when we forget to forgive one another. Because here's the inevitable thing. Let's be honest. Inevitably, we hurt each other. We're human beings. We all have weak moments and we hurt each other. I remember telling my wife once, I said, just before Yom Kippur, I said, my dear, over the next year, I can be pretty much guaranteed I will hurt you, hopefully not too badly. But because we see each other many hours every single day of the year and I'm a human being and I have my moods. Chances are I won't always be in top four and I'll, and I'll hurt you. Please be understanding. The closer we get to somebody, the bigger chance we have to hurt them. And to hopefully show love and care as well. But if we're always walking around with a sense of entitlement and we're always walking around waiting to be offended... And how can we ever have peace in our homes? I've just in the past few weeks been hearing such heartbreaking stories of families disintegrating and falling apart over such silliness. I'm not saying every time. I'm, you know, some, some divorces and some disassociation between family members is necessary. But that is a very, very small minority. But when siblings don't talk to each other for 30 years, over money, over, I don't know, the two brother-in-laws don't get along, the two sisters-in-law don't get along, he doesn't like him, she doesn't like her, etc. And then 20 years down the line, they're not going to each other simchas. How is that possible? How is that possible? Listen, may I never be tested but I cannot imagine, and I thank God I have 11 siblings, I cannot imagine not talking to one of them for 20 years. Yes, we'll hurt each other sometimes, we'll say things, we'll be insensitive, but how? How does that happen? And yes, again, let me just you know qualify. There are extreme examples where it's necessary, but those are extreme examples. But when I'm literally hearing it from so many people, it can't be that there's so many extreme examples. And if everything is so extreme, then really things are messed up. That means if there's so much craziness. But I'd like to believe that most of the reasons that people don't talk to each other are over pettiness, over silliness, over ego. Over the fact that when they said the Shema at night, they weren't able to say, I hereby forgive with my whole heart. If there was one prayer 
I know this is, you know, I'm overstepping my boundaries, but if there's one prayer that I would, and that I would be able to convince the whole Jewish people to say every single day. Obviously, Shema is first. That prayer would be this Rabbeinu Shalalem. Master of the universe, I hereby forgive everybody. That one unnoticed paragraph. But that stands for everything. Yom Kippur is 20 days ago. Now we're back into life. Does that mean for the next 11 months we're going to be building resentment? Or can we give each other the benefit of the doubt in advance? And if we are hurt, okay. Ask for an apology. But to give each, give each other the benefit of the doubt and to have good energy. Have forgiving energy. Find reasons why to forgive rather than reasons why to, you know, hold resentment. It's almost like some of us cannot help ourselves but justify our, the hatred in our hearts. Look at the parsha of the week and the, the flood and how an entire society lost respect for one another and literally self-destructed. Thank God the Jewish community around the world in the past many years has really blossomed in so many ways. Many more people doing mitzvahs and connecting to their Jewish roots and going to shiurim, etc., but how about a little more peace? How about a little more peace? Doesn't mean being a, a rag. It just means loving peace more than loving being right. This is 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM. I want to finish off with a story. The story about the two gentlemen in the back of a wagon in Eastern Europe in the shtetl. And they're traveling in the freezing winter from one town to the next. And it is bitterly cold. Something that, thank God, us South Africans don't actually know what that means. And they happen to be surrounded by bottles and big barrels of vodka. And the story goes that they call out to the person in the front, to the wagon driver, and they say, do you mind if we just have a little sip? Alcohol brings warmth. So they each take a little kelichka, a little glass, and they drink it. And suddenly it's a bit warmer. So Yankel turns to his friend, Chaim, and he says, I don't understand. We were surrounded by thousands of liters of vodka, and we weren't warm. And all I take is just one little drink, and I'm warm. And his friend says, oh, my fool. Yes, you could be surrounded by 
gallons and liters of warmth, but until you take a little sip, you won't, you won't actually feel the warmth. We could be surrounded by gallons of inspiration and we can give the most motivational speeches and the best articles and the best talks to our kids, to our friends, to our communities. We can say it all. But until we don't take a little cup and internalize one idea, one idea, and make it our own, we are still cold. We are still unaffected. Inspiration doesn't change us. Downloading the inspiration changes and transforms us. And now we've end, we've finishing the month of the inspiration. And now it's time to download it, to bring it into our lives, to use it, to touch it, to get to know it, to transform ourselves. That in a month's time, in a year's time, we can look at ourselves and say, you know what? I've grown up. I'm a big boy. I'm a big girl. I've, I've, I've come somewhere in these, in this time period that we transform. I often, when we hear that the year ends and people sit there saying, oh gosh, the year ran so quickly. And I've, I've said that many times myself. I often wonder, if the previous year was dedicated to growth and we really transformed ourselves and we worked ourselves, would we say that the year went by quickly? Or do we only say that when years didn't really change us and we're not that different than we were 12 months ago, so indeed the year did fly by. But if we took the year and decided to change ourselves, I don't think time flies. I think time becomes richer and fuller. And a 24 hours feels like a 24 hours. And a week feels like a week. And a month feels like a month. And a year feels like a year. Wishing us that in the next 12 months till the next Rosh Hashanah, 11 months till the, it's actually 12 months this year because it's two others. It's the next 12 months till Rosh Hashanah. It should be a, a, a long, but not in a bad way, a long and beautiful and meaningful and rich year of true transformation, of true growth and of true forgiveness. Have a great day. Please God back here next Tuesday at 1 to 2. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Chai FM. Have a great day.